Welcome to the podcast, Whiskey and a Map. Stories of adventure and expeditions as told by those who live them. I'm your host, Michael Reinhardt. It has been said that many adventures and expeditions start simply with a map and a glass of whiskey. A desire to go and see the world's wild places. You're invited to pull up a chair, pour yourself a glass of your favorite whiskey, and join us as we hear stories from another one of our friends just returned from the field. Welcome, come on in. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Robert Robinson, who is an Army veteran. He spent 21 years as an airborne military police officer serving with the 82nd Airborne. He served in many countries around the world, including a tour in Afghanistan. Robert has appeared on the PBS special Weird Florida on the road again. He is an author, his first book entitled Legend Dripping. Robert, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. You know, preparing for this, you know, your book is called Legend Tripping. Yes. I know you've been asked in the past what legend tripping means. Mm-hmm. I actually took a deep dive into what the meaning of legend is, because I think it has particular application to you. I found this definition of a legend is a story coming down from the past especially one popularly regarded as historical, although not verifiable. And since your retirement from the military, Mm -hmm. it seems that for many legends out there that you've followed, you've been working on that verifiable part of it, searching out these legends and seeing if there's something to them. Is that, um, is that accurate? No, that's very accurate. Uh, growing up, I, uh, I got into it uh, watching this movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. It came out in 1974. It's a, uh, a documentary movie about a Bigfoot-type creature called the Falk Monster in the town of Falk, Arkansas, which is uh, close to Shreveport and uh, Texarkana. And it uh, very done on a, a shoestring budget, but uh, the director did a superb job and and reenacted some scenes and it just scared the heck out of me as a kid in fact we went to the drive-in to see it a double feature and i don't remember what the second movie was you know it left a, a very lasting impression on me and then i uh going to school talking about it teachers told me about the uh bigfoot and uh you know directed me to the library and i started reading books and book and i just i just couldn't get enough of reading about this stuff in fact it's probably one of the reasons i did read in school um but uh, I also started reading about other legends, you know, besides, uh, you know, Bigfoot, you know, the Loch Ness Monster, the Abominable Snowman, and other things, the Jersey Devil, you know, and I also got into the whole uh, uh, UFOs, you know, there's legends that you're Roswell, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, uh, haunted places, you know, growing up in England and in the United States, uh, I was... Uh, I got to see a lot of places that legend had it were supposed to be haunted. And, you know, there was some paranormal activity supposed to happen there. And I also got into the whole uh, legends of uh, buried treasure, you know, the popular TV show, Oak Island. I remember that as a kid reading the uh, article in a kid's magazine about it. And then of course, seeing the uh, TV show in search of a special on it. So as you can see, I just, <laughs> I would say I can't get enough, but I just really, really enjoy uh, reading about legends, and and I really enjoy investigating and researching into it to find just how much of it is true, how much of it is just you know made up or just uh, exaggerated, you know, because unfortunately some legends have taken on a life of their own from what orig- you know what the original legend is. Now I would think that. Your background first as a uh, career army, military police, 82nd mm-hmm. Airborne would probably make you fairly, um, fairly skeptical. And you better show me the facts before I'm going to buy into something. Uh, quick answer, yes. I always tell people who I'm out you know, dealing with on this, I keep an open mind, but not so much that my brain falls out. You know? 
And unfortunately, in this uh, doing research and going out and doing sightings and all that, I have found people that, uh, as I say, are just trying to get on TV. Uh, th- and I've also interviewed people who I think, in my opinion, you know, doing an interview, have seen something they can't explain that has left a very uh, uh, emotional experience or uh, memory on the on them. Uh, but I do approach each one. I keep, like I said, I keep an open mind, but in the back of my mind, I'm always ready. Cause I mean, even good people lie, you know? And unfortunately, in some uh, people in, in the cryptozoology field kind of, how would I say, bait the witness, you know, kind of encourage them or almost put words in their mouth. Uh, as a, you know, one of the things I learned as a, uh, an army MP is you let the witness talk. You don't interrupt them. I mean, if you have questions, you write it down. And of course, after the person's told their story, you go back then ask them questions, but don't ever put words in their mouth. And especially with the sighting. All right. And, uh, uh, if I don't believe the person or there's some, a lot of questions about what he saw or she saw. I'll ask them to tell me about that same story three times. Usually, most of the time, and it, I've, I've never, it's always worked for me. If a person's lying, they cannot tell that lie three times in a row without messing it up or adding to it. A person who has seen something they can't explain, uh, say, you know, a Bigfoot, they can tell you everything they did to the, down to the what they ate i mean it's just incredible the things that these people can bring up and again their story never wavers so but back to your original question uh, or i yes um I, in this day and age with everything going on and people that do hoax i am i approach everything with a uh, an open mind but uh, at the same time i i have to be skeptical at the same time as well you know obviously it's good to be skeptical but you know, I was looking up considering legends. Yes. You know, lately, you know, the Arthurian legend, there are archaeologists and historians in England now that think they've actually found the original Arthur. Now, mm-hmm. he didn't have a round table. He didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, all the embellishments of, of later stories, but they found there was a real Arthur. Something, mm-hmm. there was a kernel of truth into that, that legend. You know, one of my favorite uh, explorers is Percy Fawcett. Oh, yes. And, you know, he kept searching for this lost city of Z, kept telling people that there were large cities in the middle of the Amazon. And Mm -hmm. everyone told him he was crazy. But he he kept following that legend. Now, he ultimately didn't find it. At least we'll come back to tell about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but archaeologists now come back and they say, you know, at one time there were large populations civilizations in the middle of the Amazon. Mm-hmm. There was a kernel of truth to that. Uh, all legends have some basis of how they got started, or I'm not going to say basis of, I guess to say a basis of fact. Something happened to start that legend. With Percy uh, Fawcett, he did a, a, you know, the man did his research before going down there. You know, I mean, he did, of course, you know, he had to do this to convince the, uh, you know, his sponsors uh, I think it was a Royal Geographic uh, Society gave him the money to go search for the uh, that city, the gold, the lost city, of, you know, gold city. You know, more science is getting more advanced, more we're starting to find out more and more about some of these stories that we thought didn't have any basis. You know, um, I'm looking forward to when we do find the lost city of Atlantis. I think someday we'll find out the uh, the, the truth behind it. There's some lost city. Now it may not be as described by Plato, but you know, look at Troy. For all mm-hmm. the, you know, thousand years, it was just a legend. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be true. Uh, again, yeah, a gentleman did his research and went out there, and sure enough, he found uh, he found it was able to prove it. Before we get too far, I usually have somebody tell a good drinking story or uh, anecdote. And I understand that you had an interesting encounter at a Hardee's. Can you tell us oh, yes. Uh, we were, uh, I was invited to come up to uh, Point Pleasant, Ohio, and 
uh, and sell books and stuff. I grabbed my wife and we, we drove up there from Florida. And on the way, we stopped in at, uh, you know, we had to, uh, in South Carolina. My wife had to go use the, you know, the bathroom, the ladies' room, and we found a Hardee's. So I, we pulled in and I went inside. And um, at that time, I wasn't hungry. So I was just sitting in the lobby. And uh, I hear, a, you know, a motorcycle sound, you know, a Harley outside. And again, you know, didn't really pay much mind to it. And then I, I can feel the doors behind me open up. And I all of a sudden I hear out of nowhere, who owns that yellow Jeep with Bigfoot on it? Which that was my Jeep. And I turn around and in the doorway is the biggest biker dude I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I just and he was the, you know. Blue jeans on, black leather jacket, black Harley Davidson t-shirt, big huge beard, uh, bandana on, and uh, and he looked pissed. And I'm just like, oh god, you know. So I just, I took the <laughs> the high road to just I just go right back to using my phone because then you know people tell me something. Like, well, you know, how big was this guy? What did he just say? You know, this is the kind of guy you mess with if you have a death wish. You know. You're like, well, I, hell, I can't find a building to jump off. I'll just go and mess with this biker dude here. You know, that's how big this guy was. So I just kind of acted like I didn't hear him and, you know, on my phone. And he starts walking around the restaurant asking, people, hey, is that your Jeep and that Jeep? And people's just wide eyed. No, sir, I swear to God, I've never I've never even owned a Jeep, you know. And he goes up to the counter and he's like, hey, you back there on that Jeep. And they're like, oh, please, sir, we just work here. We don't want you know any trouble. He says, I don't want any trouble. I just want to know who owns that Jeep. Well, my wife comes walking up. And she walks up to me and she kind of looks and goes, what's going on? What's that guy over there yelling about? And I said, he's asking about our Jeep. And my wife turns around and goes, it's our Jeep. Is there a problem? And I go, Tracy. And he turns around. He comes walking up to me and looking down at me because this gentleman, I mean, I'm 5'7". And I don't I tell you, you know, to tell a story, I say he's like, you know, seven foot tall. But he was a good six foot four. I mean, incredibly tall, because I remember him when I saw him standing in the doorway. And uh, he goes, you the owner of that Jeep? And I just trying to hold what dignity I have, you know, thinking I'm going to die, but I might as well go out like a man. Uh, yes, sir, it's my Jeep. He goes, he goes, is it with Bigfoot on it? I say, he goes, I saw it. I saw Bigfoot back in 1976 in Mississippi. I was with my brother. We were on the railroad tracks. We saw it kind of, and he started going on. And the whole uh, restaurant was so relieved that I was the owner of the Jeep. You could just see him going, oh, thank God. You know, and I mean, and they were just, you know, lady, some people, these ladies were in line listening. And they're just like listening to this guy tell his story. And he's like, yeah, I got up there. And it walked across the railroad track. So me and my brother, we went up there and that sucker reached out, tried to grab me. And one of the ladies goes, sir, you could have been killed. Oh, hell, yes, ma'am. I could have been killed. And I, you know, listened to him and stuff. And then he said, why are you, why are you here? You, you're looking for Bigfoot here in South Carolina? I said, no, we're on the way up. I got a, uh, I'm a writer as well. And I'm going to go and sell some books and do a, a presentation on, you know, Bigfoot in Florida. He goes, oh, you got any, you got some books? Can, can I buy one? I said, well. Yeah, if you you know, I didn't expect to sell, but you know, I said, well, how much did it cost? I said, well, about fifteen bucks. Oh, I only got a twenty. I said, well, you know, <laughs> sir, I'm sorry, I didn't expect to, you know, I didn't have change because I didn't come in Hardy's to sell books. He goes, oh hell, you signed it, twenty dollars good with me. So we went out. He went, took pictures of me next, me and him next to the jeep, and him holding the book and stuff, and uh, and then we're, you know, he's just telling me more about how he wanted, you know believes in it and how all this stuff and then the manager comes walking out and he says are you selling books out here and i went oh great now i'm going to go to jail you know for selling books i said i'm never going to make it to ohio you know and then i said yeah i didn't think it was a big deal selling him just one sir and he goes can i buy one and i said well yeah if you want it you will sign it right i said yeah so i mean that and i often tell people that was one of the scariest moments i had since i even out looking for Bigfoot, that was probably more, I was probably more scared that time than I, I've ever been out in the woods. And good salesmanship too. Yeah, I, it really was. I mean, I, I'm waiting to find, I, I, you know, I keep looking on Facebook and other places, hoping this gentleman will put that picture of little old me and gigantic him next to the, uh, next to the Jeep. Well, your passion is searching for this large Described as a hairy, bipedal, primate sort of beast. That's I mean, actually a very good description of it. Yes, sir. 
I mean, in the Himalayas, it was popularly known as Yeti. Mm-hmm. Yep. Up here in California and, and uh, Oregon, Washington, Sasquatch, commonly known as Bigfoot. Uh, mm-hmm. Down in Florida, you call it the skunk ape. That's correct. Can you tell us about the historical root of this legend, especially here in the United States? What's What did the Native Americans say about it, if they did it all? Well, the word, the term uh, to start off, Sasquatch is Native American. Uh, and it more or less, it's up in the upper um, Washington state into Canada where it was used. The uh, Native Americans going back centuries have believed that these animals are out there. Um, for the most part, they, they leave it alone. It's one of those animals that they kind of, Almost some some of the uh, Native Americans view it as kind of a protector, whereas some view it as a, uh, you know, to stay away from it. The Native Americans have always, uh, all over the United States, have had stories of this animal. I hear it down in Florida, the Seminoles. They believe not so much of it as a, uh, uh, I was talking to, I, uh, I went back and was talking to them about it. And it's more of an animal that um, is more of a very spiritual kind of a, of a being. I mean, Leif Erikson, when he came down, he had reports of, uh, you know, encountering large, hairy, man-like creatures on the shores when he was coming down, which historians speculate may have been the upper part of uh, Canada. Now, to the Native Americans and their traditions, is it, do they see it as a legend, as a spirit, or do they see it as just another animal in the woods, like a deer or a bear? Uh, not so much a legend, as they do actually believe the creature's there. I mean, my dealings with Native Americans, and again, this is Native American lore. Now, in, on the eastern coast, uh, in your research, have you found any accounts by the early pioneers? There's uh, stories. Most, I mean, Daniel Boone had a sighting, believe it or not, of a large hairy creature. Believe it or not, I would remember Daniel Boone, the old Fess Parker TV series, growing up as a kid. So, and when I heard that, I was like looking into that, and he he saw, you know, when he was out on one of his uh, out hunting, he saw it down here in Florida. We have a story that happened uh, back in the 1820s. Uh, the settlement up in Georgia, right out near the Okefenokee Swamp, came. They had heard a legend of an island that had these beautiful women there, but also had it was rich in supplies. Well, the village was dwindling in supplies, so two gentlemen or two hunters came down with a an Indian guide or Native American guide. And uh, they went down into the woods and they were down there, I think, about a week or something. And they found tracks, these large human-like tracks. And the guy told them that's these animals that live around this island. And they're, they're cannibalistic and they'll kill anybody that, you know, comes around this area. Well, then they heard screams going on. And the, the three of them sat there to the morning time. And when the sun came up, they you know, proceeded back up to the, uh, their settlement and they told the, uh, the rest of the people up there what they had seen. So, uh, a band of about nine of them decided, got together and came back down with the, the, you know, native American guide, went back into the same area and they came on and there were the tracks still there. And then they started hearing screams, but this time the people from the, the, the party started shooting into the, uh, into the, the swamps. And I believe the way it was getting into the evening, so they couldn't quite see what was out there, but they could hear it moving. They could hear it screaming and they kept on shooting. And then all of a sudden this large hairy creature came barreling out of the woods at them and charged them and end up killing three of them by screwing their heads off. Well, after numerous shots, they put the animal down. Now they measured it and said it was 13 feet tall, which I, I don't believe that. That's how big it was. I don't know if they, what they used to measure it with, but they said it, in there it was not a bear. It was a, a, a large, hairy, human-type creature that gave off a bad smell. Well, they were pondering what to do. 
you know, with the creature. And of course, you had their their dead dead comrades laying on the ground, and they started hearing screams. Well, they there was no wait until dawn. They all proceeded back out of there and just you know every man for themselves and ran out of the swamp back up there. And this story made the newspapers all over the United States. And it's documented there in the newspapers. It was. In fact, if you just, and if anybody out listening, just type Okefenokee Bigfoot story, and you'll find numerous websites that reaccount this story. And also telling you, you know, what newspaper did publish it back then. It's out there. It was put in a newspaper and other publications. Probably one of the most famous stories that a lot of people start to take notice is the one that Teddy Roosevelt wrote uh, in his um, memoir, his 1893 memoir, The Wilderness Hunter, where he had met this gentleman, Bowman. He was a trapper, and him and another guy, gentleman went out, and um, I think it was in Montana. They were out trapping. When they would come back to camp, something had gone through their camp and uh, really you know, messed up their camp. Well, one time, one one of them said, hey, I'm going to stay back and find out what's going on or who's coming into our camp. So Bowman went out hunting and he came back and he noticed, you know, he called to his comrade and no answer. When he got there, he found his comrade's dead body in a mangled position laying down, dead, of course. And he found large footprints of human footprints around there. So he proceeded to grab what he could and got out of there. But that's, uh, in fact, Mr. Uh, President Roosevelt uh, writes that he believed the story that the gentleman told. So that's one of the, the popular Bigfoot stories that people like to, to, as far as historical Bigfoot stories go. Now, in your research, the search in Florida. Yes. Someone came to you with a video, and that sets you on a particular search. Tell us about that. Thanksgiving 2012, uh, one of my, I, I teach at a high school and one of the students, all the students there know what I do. They know I go out and conduct research and look for legends and Bigfoot and that. He came to me after school and said, hey, my dad saw something Thanksgiving morning. He took a video of it. And I said, wow, I'd really like to see, ask, could you ask your dad to come in and see me? Well, next day, his dad comes in after school. You know, he sat down in, in a, on a classroom and started telling me that uh, Thanksgiving morning, he was up in a tree stand in a place called the Green Swamp, which is uh, west of Orlando. It's a large area. He got in a tree stand, six o'clock in the morning. He's sitting up there. And he said, there's a light mist or type fog going across this huge field in front of it, a palmetto field. And he's playing on his phone. Well, he's out there by himself. Just to put that out, there aren't any other hunters out there. And he catches moving off to his left and he glanced over and he sees what looks like something walking on two legs coming out on the field. And he's looking at it because at first he thinks, you know, it's, it's a hunter. And he looked at it and he said, does this guy have a ghillie suit on or something? Because, And he's watching it and he won't notice how fluid it was moving through the palmetto field. Whereas uh, I, I, a human or a hunter would have a very awkward, clumsy movement going through it. And he's looking at it and he knows that whatever it is, doesn't, isn't carrying this hunter, he, you know, because he still thinks the hunter isn't carrying a gun. So he's watching it. And he's waiting because he, he said to he told me, he said, I was waiting for it to get close. I was going to say, hey, dummy, you know, you shouldn't be walking out here without any orange on. You know, I'm sitting up here in a tree stand. And he got a you know, look at it and he realized that's not a guy in a ghillie suit. It, it looks like, a, you know, something else. And it stopped in the field. And he's looking at it. And he said the thing, whatever it was, was sniffing like it was sniffing the air. Well, he takes his cell phone out and he starts filming it. And he said he started filming it. And then all of a sudden, the thing turned around and looked right up at him. And he said a, a, a chill shot down his spine when he realized that wasn't a, a man in a suit, but was a real live creature. And it was looking at him. 
And he sat there, looked for a couple seconds, and he stopped filming because he didn't know if this, whatever it was, was going to charge at him on the tree stand or take off, which it did the latter. It took off running because he put his hand back, you know, he put his hand on his gun. And he said, he said he'd never seen anything take off so fast. Well, he, after he got his composure back, he got on the phone and he called his dad and, and, and his son was with his dad. They were in another location in the Green Swamp. Well, they got in the truck and they drove down. And the son took over saying my, he, my dad was still in the tree stand. You know, and I could see something has really scared the crap. You know, he, my dad was in a really uh, hysterical state. And they got up to him and he said, I saw the skunk ape, you know, because he said he had heard, they heard stories of this animal before. They, I mean, this wasn't, you know, and he, he said his granddad, you know, looked at him and says, my God, I've been out here 30 years and, you know, and you see this, you finally saw it. Well, you know, they finally talked him into coming down off this tree stand and they got him in the car. And the son told me that when they got him to the house, he went right to his room and was just laying in the, his bed. I mean, it was just, it just psychologically had really messed with him. Very traumatic experience. In fact, you know, when I, when he did come in to see me, of course, it was after Thanksgiving break. And I asked, I said, do you think we could go out there and see this thing? And at first, you know, he's looking at me, he was looking down and he's like, I don't know if I really want to go back out there. I said, well, I'm, you know, I can bring some other investigators too. It won't just, you know, but I really like to see where you saw this thing. And he goes, all right, we can go. We can go this Saturday. I said, Saturday it is. So we met at a, um, a gas station and he proceeded to take us out there. We had to park the vehicles and we had to proceed in it on foot. We had, you know, a bit of, it was a bit swampy, but he took us right up to the trail. I mean, to the tree stand. And he said, I was up there and I pointed over there. So I went out there. I said, now I'm going to walk out there and I want you to tell me where it was it was standing when you were sitting up there oh let me back up son he made a comment about it, said do you have the film this is again i'm going back to the original interview I, I i totally i said i understand you took a film of it you with your cell phone he goes yes i did i said can i see it and he says well i'm going to tell you right out of the bed it's not good quality because it was six o'clock in the morning and there's a, a breeze out there but you can see it standing out there in the middle of this field i said okay let me see it and he showed it to me and it's a little bit shaky because, you know, you could see his, uh, the way he's holding the phone and stuff and you could see it and you could just barely see it and it starts moving. And then all of a sudden you see it take off to run. And that's when he stopped the film. Because he again, he didn't know if it was going to charge at him or if it was going to, you know, he didn't know what the animal was going to do, which I understand. So anyway, we got out there and again, I went out to this is where it was standing. OK, so my wife proceeded to take pictures. And if you compare me with what on the film, you can see it was a lot taller than I what, what I was. And of course, I looked around to make sure there was nothing out there like a fallen log or something that he might have mistaken and all that. And I, I could see a path where something had come running through. And we proceeded to follow it. And we came to this uh, um, fire break and we saw tracks. We found tracks. But they were all filled with water. It had been raining during that time frame. So me and the wife and, and, and the, the witness, we tried to dump the water out to make some uh, castings. And we did make castings, but they did not come out, you know, very good. But we measured the stride of, you know, and this animal had like a 14 feet of foot stride. Later, I went and put some trail cameras up. I looked and saw where the tracks were going. And I said, OK, I'm going to go down this road. And uh, I'm going to proceed down. If this is where the animal went, maybe I can, you know, get some pictures of it with a trail camera. So I put up a trail camera. I decided I'll wait a, about a week or something and come back out and see. Because with a trail camera, I like it to stay out there and let the weather take it and to try to get the human smell off of it. Okay. So when I went back out there and my wife and my daughter came with me and my son. And uh, we got out there and it was starting to get, it was about six o'clock, six, seven o'clock. It was starting to get dark in, in the swampy area. And the area I put the trail camera was a, uh, a dirt road with two swampy areas on both sides. And I had found a, uh, an area where just enough for me to 
get over there to put a trail camera up. And I, and I found this area because it looked like there was a, a big opening where I found a lot of um, tr um, game trails. So I figured maybe this animal might be using some of the game, this, this prominent game trail. So I got out there, I, you know, put the trail camera up, put some camouflage netting around it, sprayed it with some no scent and left it for about, I usually on an average, nowadays I leave it for out, out there for about a month, but there I only left it out for a week because I was really thinking, you know, maybe I can see this, you know, get some good pictures of this animal. So when I went back out with my family, my wife and my daughter didn't, you know, they didn't want to walk down the trail with me and stuff, but my son did. And my son had a night vision camera uh, goggles that he had gotten some video game, some military video game. And he wanted to just to see how well they work. Normally, when I go walking in the woods, I have a little pack with me that I have my uh, thermal, I have my night visions, and I have bear mace with me. And I have a, a couple of survival items with me and a first aid kit, just in case, because I like to be prepared when I go out there. Well, I figured I was just going to, I wasn't going to be that far from the Jeep, you know, from the Jeep getting up there. So I wouldn't need this stuff because I was just going to grab the trail camera and come on back to the vehicle. So we were walking down the trail and I started hearing some splashing going on in there. And I, we're, me and my, we're looking, my son's looking. I said, I can't quite see what's going on there. And we stopped and splashing stopped. Okay. And now, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, deer might do that. You know, deers aren't known for going through the swamp. They can go through the water. I'm not going to say that. But bears and panthers aren't known to do that. You know, especially, you know, they most of these animals know what their own their own, you know, predators out there like alligators and stuff. So we started walking again and again, the splashing commenced again. You know, and then I could, you know, we got a bit of a scream going on. No, 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 no. You know, and I look over at my son and he goes, did you hear that? He goes, yeah. And again, we stop, splashing stops. And we're looking. And again, I didn't have a flashlight. I didn't have anything that I could. And I'm really, to this day, curse myself for not. Because I always grab my pack when I go walking out there. So we start walking again. And then I, I hear another scream. And we both froze. And I just kind of went. It was, it, whatever it was had come closer. So I look back at my son and he's gone. And I went, oh, my God, that jerk just took off and left me here. You know, he ran back to the Jeep. So he's going back for the backpack. Well, but, but I had his night vision goggles and I remember looking up and I saw, you know, I, I saw something, the eyes glowing, you know, but I didn't see it looking at it. But with the night vision, I could see the eyes. And again, I was questioning it. Could this be a raccoon up in a tree? But I couldn't see, and cypress, you know, trees go up really high. There's not a lot of branches on cypress trees, you know. They go up pretty darn high before you start getting branches on them and stuff. And again, my son took off, so I'm sitting there looking, and I could hear it making, I could hear it breathing noise, and I'm saying, okay, there's something definitely there. But I wanted to try to figure out, you know, is it a bear? Is it, you know, something else that, that we, you know, know about out there. Again, you know, process of elimination. Let's verify what we're seeing before we wholeheartedly say that, you know, a Bigfoot or a skunk ape. Well, I was sitting there watching it, and it's watching me. Because, again, I'm standing out in the middle of a road. I have nothing bes beside me, you know? And, uh, you know. and then all of a sudden I hear movement behind me, and I went, oh, God, there's another one. This one got my attention. Whereas this, the other one's going to come up behind me, and that that that's how Robert Robinson's going to die. He's going to die out here with you know a Bigfoot attack or skunk ape attack. So I kind of turn around and look, and lo and behold, I see my son's head poke out from behind the back, and he looks at me wide eyed. He goes, "Is it still there?" I said, "Yeah." So he kind of walks out from the tree, kind of comes up to me, and I and I kind of just give him the, you know, a point over there, and it screams at us again. And he leans over and said, Pop, I think we need to get out of here. I said, yeah, whatever it is, obviously doesn't want us here. So we, you know, start did, walking. Let me, let me stop you there. What did the scream sound like? Kind of a... <laughs> you know, it, did, it wasn't a roar, you know, or it wasn't a, uh, you know, it definitely, you know, I've heard of panthers 
sounds and stuff, you know. And I've heard it one time when I was growing up in Mississippi where it sounded, uh, Panther sounded like a baby crying, you know, because I remember hearing it and my uncle said, oh, that's a Panther. But this sounded just a very gurgling type of, ah, you know, and I was like, I've never heard that sound before. I mean, I have, you know, listened to other Bigfoot sounds, but I'm not going to sit there and say this one sounded like some of the others. It was a, definitely a sound. But I also, you know, pulled up bear sounds and it sounded nothing like a bear. I even went so far as to pull up um, uh, wild pigs because they make some really unusual noises out there, too. So we saw, you know, the eyes went away. I could hear we could hear it go back in the woods. As we started walking back to the Jeep, and again, we heard one more scream, and we proceeded to walk faster back to the Jeep. We got there. My wife and daughter were standing over there next to the Jeep, say, you know, looking at us like, did you hear that? Did you hear that scream? And we we're like, yeah, it was right next to us, you know? I said, everybody get in the vehicle. Let's do that, you know, because I didn't know what was going on, and I'm not going to put my family in, you know. I didn't know what the risk was, and I don't, you know. And they clearly wanted to leave, too. That was not, you know. So we got out of there. I I, I went ahead and uh, I grabbed a couple uh, fellow Bigfoot friends and I brought them back out there to retrieve my trail camera. And I told them, I showed them where the sound was and stuff. When we looked, and again, we looked at all the trees out there to see again, because you know I'm one of those people. I, I I'm going to analyze every bit out there. I mean, if it could have been a raccoon, it could have been a raccoon. But I know raccoons definitely do not make screams like that. So, I mean, I realize there's are weird sounds out there that we may, people may say, oh, it's a Bigfoot and later find out it's not. This one, I, like I said, I, it wasn't a bear, it wasn't a panther. And whatever it was, when I, the eye level, I was looking at, I was looking up. It wasn't looking dead in, in front of me. I was looking up at it for the eyes. And I could hear whatever it was out there breathing too. Let me switch gears okay. on you. What is the strangest thing that you personally witnessed? Something that really kind of made you think about what you just saw. We were out up at a place on this property up near uh, Tallahassee, these people's property. And uh, we were actually staying at a state uh, park called Torreya State Park. Well, we had broke into uh, teams to go to various locations. And... Uh, I ended up going with some gentlemen and we went to these, these caves, believe it or not, there are caves in Florida. You wouldn't think it, but a two other gentlemen went to another location. Well, we didn't see anything at the caves. We did see some, uh, some wolves. I mean, not wolves, some, um, bobcats, but that was it. But we got back to, uh, the park and these two gentlemen that had gone over to these, uh, people's house, were telling the story how they had gotten out there and they had parked uh, the guy's name was Dean and Josh. Well, Dean had a Land Rover and he parked it and they were walked down and the, the people that live out there have a small little cabin right next door that they actually let people use, you know, you know, like a guest house. And there's really not much to it. So it's a pretty single room. There's no bathroom in it or anything. Well, they were walking down to it and all of a sudden they heard something uh, scream at them. Oh, no, let me back up. I'm going ahead of myself. Something set off the alarm on his, on his uh, Land Rover. Well, they turn around and they, you know, Dean pulls out his keys, you know, thinking that, you know, maybe, you know, turns off the, uh, the uh, alarm and there's nothing. They start getting ready to walk back. It goes off again. Well, they're looking and they can't, you know, see anything. And then all of a sudden something screams off to their left. Well, Josh brought the light up enough to catch where he did catch the shape of this thing as it turned and just ran off into the woods. Well, they, those two, and both of them are about six foot. Josh is about six foot two. Dean is about six foot. And both, you know, brawny built guys, you know, you're not the type of guys you'd, you know, you would say ever, you know, got scared. And both of them, you know, have been in the woods. They know what's out in the woods. They proceeded to get back in the Land Rover and proceeded back. Well, we went out the next morning and we found tracks. And, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, I mean, in the back of my mind, I wonder if it was a bear they saw or whatever. And we found the track. And I just saw how huge that track was. And I just, and I was like, 
my God, it really was here. And we found more tracks. And I'm just like, there really was something here, you know? And to see the size of the tracks, said this was a really large animal out here. And and hearing Dean and uh, Josh tell the tell, and Dean the whole time, Josh was telling the story where Dean was just sitting in his chair looking at the campfire like in a trance. And Dean was telling the story, and I just remember toward the end, Dean just kind of looked up. He goes, all right, guys, I've had enough. I'm going home. And got, got his stuff, went into his, got back in his Land Rover and took off. I mean, it just really zonked this guy. And Josh said, you know, I remember Josh says, I'll go. I, I ain't going out in the woods, and I'm darn sure not going by myself. So, I mean, whatever it was rattled these two big guys. And then, again, the tracks, and I just like, wow. There really is. I mean, this thing really was here. You know, when you did always, the tracks look like? When did the tracks look like? I can show it to you. I got I made a Please. copy of it. I made a copy of it. Here it is. I had That's a big, big foot. It is. It is. And I was there when we found it. So it's not one of those things, you know, I was there out there. I mean, I wasn't the one who found it. I just remember when they David found it, he goes, over here, guys. And we all ran over and went, oh, you know. And then, of course, we got the, you know, the casting material out. And then we looked around. We found a couple more out there and stuff. And, you know, this obviously wasn't made by anything, you know, about six foot tall. It was obviously a lot bigger. And I just remember seeing this thing going, oh, my God. There really was out here, you know. And this, the bad part was, and it just, this is the part that, bugs me is when we were getting together one of the guys i was with stacy wanted me to go out to the house but i wanted to go see the caves you know i was dead set on i wanted to go see these darn caves everybody tells me about and i kept thinking if i had decided to go back and to the house it may have been me that had this experience versus josh and dean so that's one of those times i was like uh never again <laughs> no but seeing those fresh tracks with that observation of her friend again tantalizingly close yes and there was no i mean the, the, this property we were on there's nobody else out there i mean they live out there the gentleman's a uh an architect and they had the house built out there which is a funny story to go with it because when, when i was talking to him and me and him sitting having a cigar because we're both cigar smokers i said when did you find you know you know find out you may have something on your property you didn't you know didn't bargain for and he goes i'll tell you uh the house is being built i got a call from the guys putting carpeting in my house and they called me up in my office and they i said hey uh you know we're out here putting carpeting and uh and the way their house is built is it's on the side of like a, a valley with a creek at the very bottom of it and it's a pretty expensive and he's a hunter he, you know, he goes deer hunting on his property. And, of course, it's very woody. Um, and it, 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 it is out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's... But anyway, the guy called him and said, Hey, uh, do you have any uh, unusual wildlife on your property? And he goes, wildlife? What do, I mean, what are you talking about? A bear or something? He goes, the guy goes, no, it's, it's not a bear. You know, and he's like, well, what do you go? So, well, we're out of here. And he just got hung up and left. <laughs> so anyway, you know, he gets over and he calls over to the carpet company. You know, and the guys came back and they said they saw a large hairy creature at the bottom of his, where his house, where the creek was. And it looked like it was, you know, down by the creek, maybe drinking or whatever. And uh, they said they didn't see them. It just it was there and the guy and it walked off. But, you know, the funny thing was that the guy, the, the, the two carpet guys told everybody else in the carpet and he couldn't get anybody else to come out and finish the carpeting. He had to get a whole nother company out there to finish his carpeting. Spoken to some rangers, right? That have told you about things. Yes. I've had some rangers for the most part, you know, said there's no such thing. I had one ranger whose son was, you know, in class said that Florida Fish and Wildlife said that, uh, they're not allowed to go on record about it. And he said, there's the fact that they're rarely ever seen. 
they're never ever seen at a, a distance that they can pretty much convince the witness that it was a bear they saw because if they were to sit there and come out and say yes we have these large hairy man-like creatures roaming around the woods you'd have more people in the going in the woods with firearms and a lot less people would be out camping he said you know we don't have a, any you know they reports of these animals attacking anyone so it's never been a problem and, and he said this sightings are so scarce the question that's always asked is for all the people that have been out there looking for this creature how can we've never come across the body i uh i get that told a lot and the first thing i respond is that if we uh you know found a body we darf, dar, we would darn sure know what this thing was you know but i remember one time when I went out to the green swamp to go put some trail cameras up. And I always remember this because when you go in, you have to go through the gate and there's a, uh, a game warden there. Well, right when I went through the gate, I looked over on the uh, side next to him where they got the deer. And there was a pile of dead pigs where people had shot in them and gotten them and all that. I mean, it was a large, really large pile of it. I'd say the pile was about six feet tall, you know, high. I mean, it was all, and it stunk. You know, it was bad. There was flies and everything. Well, I drove by, went out, put my trail cameras up. And then I came back about two weeks later, same game warden. And I look over and I see over and that pile is just gone. Nothing. And I remember this. And I said to him, I said, hey, uh, well, you must have had a heck of a time and clean up all those dead pigs over there. He goes, I never did anything. I said, well, what, what happened? He goes, nature has its own garbage disposal. I said, oh, so. I mean, I've, as an MP, you know, we've found, uh, you know, dead bodies and they're never all just, you know, if they've been out there for a while, these skeletons scattered all over the place. You know, in fact, most of the time we don't even find the complete skeleton, whatever these animals, of course, they stay away from humans as much as they can. And they probably, and they, and they might get my opinion as they go to pretty much areas where they know you, there's no humans go back there at all. So if one of these animals should die, It'll die back in there where there aren't any humans to begin with to, to, that would wander up on it. So what, what conclusions have you reached, if any, from all the research and study you've done? At this point in time, with all the research I've done and the witnesses, the credible witnesses that I've interviewed and some of the experiences I've, I've had and some of the tracks we've found, that there is a, a unknown bipedal creature i think it's a an anthropoid that science hasn't quite has not been uh verified yet in other words we haven't found a body yet to verify just what this creature is i believe this animal is extremely intelligent due to the fact that we haven't found it yet it is nomadic it does move around i think it goes from one location where the you know the food and the security and the the water is good until you know it's seen and i tell people you know if this animal knows it's been seen and it leaves and runs away you're not going to see it again you know most of the time it you'll never it's never going to come back to that location you know there are people out there that believe that you know we need to kill one to verify that this animals you know i i do understand that you know, there's really no way around it. You know, you got to have a specimen to verify any animal, but it's not going to be me. I don't go out there with firearms. Your excursions into the swamps, into the forests, in search of these, the, the, the root of these legends, what has it taught you? That uh, this world of ours, there is still some mystery about it. Not everything can be explained. The world's still full of mystery. And I enjoy the fact that it's still out there. Not everything is black and white. I enjoy the thrill of the hunt. I enjoy it when I get a hold of a witness who I believe saw something they can't explain. Because now I got a, an area where I can go do a research. And, you know, even though I saw something uh, glowing eyes, I can't 100% say it was a Bigfoot because I, I, I didn't see the outline or anything like that. And that bothers me, you know, that I, but I won't go on record or I won't embellish that tale and make it more than it is. I'm not going to lie about what I saw. Listening to that hunter 
tell his story about when he saw it and that thing looking up at him. And after, you know, when he first saw it, he said he was just, it was a mess. But he had, to, he had time to get his composure and analyze. He almost treated like, you know, I had the honor of seeing something that not, not everyone gets to see. And I was really jealous of that guy not being able to have that experience. And, and that's one of the reasons I continue to go out there. I want to see this animal. You know, I want that experience. And if it scares me, so be it, you know, but, you know, and I want to say the back of my mind, yes, they are out there. Science isn't always right. You've written the book legend tripping. Yes. Do you have another one in the works? Uh, well, I just, I have a new one out called Same international ball. legend. Yeah. International legend tripping. Uh, my first book, Legend Tripping, uh, The Ultimate Adventure, is a guidebook on how to go look for various legends. I, uh, you're going to kind of going to figure out my love of Bigfoot because Bigfoot's got his own chapter in there. But I also go into other legends of, you know, haunted places, buried treasure, uh, UFO legends, and just mysterious places like Gravity Hills and stuff of, of that nature, you know, where weird things happen. But it, the first book is primarily in the United States. And, uh, you know, even the Skinwalker Ranch is featured in my book. And I also, you know, I, I talk about stuff to take out there. I talk about, you know, how to research it, where to go look. And, uh, the, like, again, the first book is primarily about the United States. Whereas my second book, because I remember I got a call from my publisher, you know, David Hatcher Childress. He's one of the hosts on the TV show Ancient Aliens. He called me up and said, okay, what are you going to do for another book? Your first book did really good. What are you going to do for a follow-up? And I said, well, I don't know. I never really gave it that much thought. He goes, well, think about it, you know? So after I, you know, got off the phone with him, I'm thinking, what's more bigger than, you know, legend tripping in the United States? I said, the whole world. So I started doing research about legends around the world. And <laughs> so... My new book, International Ledger Tripping, which is a lot thicker than my first book, just came out. And uh, I tell you, I, it, it was, I, I had a real good time doing it. And my bucket list has gotten bigger because of it. <laughs> Excellent. Now, for people who want to follow your exploits, you have a website, Facebook. How, how would we follow you? Uh, Robert Robinson, International Legend Tripper, which I, I go through. Uh, the internet looking for stories around the world about stuff that's seen and, you know, all kinds of different legends and stuff and just stories about sightings of various stuff going on. Well, Robert, it's been a, been a pleasure talking to you. We'll keep searching. Oh, uh, definitely. And thank, thank you for having me on the show. I had a good time. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, we'll see you down the road. All righty. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you down the road when we get together again, share a glass of whiskey, and hear more stories of adventure as told by those who live them. Until then, check us out at michaeljreinhardt.com where you'll find more of my work as an adventure photojournalist. Photos, videos, and articles of interesting people, mysterious places, and exotic cultures from the wild places of the world. <laughs>